Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangiboundnetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out, tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, we are at Retro City Games at another game night as we talk to Rob McCallum about all his great film and podcasting projects. We also have clips from his latest interview from his show, The Trenches, and a Kotaku headline challenge from his GamerCast program with Jay Bartlett and Glenn Stanway as well. All this and an update from DJ Medina of Henshin Engine on their upcoming video game and another great track from Plasma Z. It's another arcade full of podcasting excitement as we delve once again into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Alright, now we're live once again at another game night right here at Retro City Games, right here in Henderson, Nevada. Woo! Yes, it is the Pop Culture Cosmos show. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford once again, you know, in case you didn't hear it over... You know, my good friend right over here, his uh, cellular phone going off the hook right here. Yeah, sorry, business keeps coming in. Yes. I can't stop it. Yes, but I'm here once again with my good friend, long time no see. It is always a great pleasure to have him on the show. It's the wonderful, awesome director and mastermind behind Rob McCallum Films. It's Rob McCallum. How are you, my friend? <laughs> well, how appropriate that Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films is here in person live for possibly... The last live game night events. Indeed. As I pound the table with my fist like gavel. Yes. and uh, Gavel like fist. And destroying the audio, indeed. No, everybody likes it. That was just a wake-up call. Yes, yes. I hope so as well coming across here. Well, it's a great pleasure having you on the show out there. And we truly appreciate everyone out there 
either watching the show live on Facebook, on the Retro City Games, like them on Facebook, Retro City Games, right here in Henderson, Nevada. The leader in... The only competition, I think. Yes, in video games, right here in Southern Nevada. It's a true story. Here we are, Retro City Games. Game night for what month is it? April? April. April 2017. <laughs> I don't know. What month is it? I don't know. What year are we in? Somebody's had a little bit too much of the... Uh, woo, woo, no, somebody thing. hasn't had enough of the zonk, zonk, z's sleep. There you go. Because, indeed, because you've been a very, very busy young man. That's true. I think yes. the last time we talked was January when we did an episode of The Trenches featuring yourself on one of my other shows that you can hear, of course, either on the PCC Multiverse, our sister show, or a little excerpts every now and then on the PCC itself. That's correct. Or you can catch the full episode on YouTube, correct? Uh, yeah, usually uploaded to YouTube, so you can check it out there. Uh, and it's also, if you go on Podbean or iTunes, you can check out the full-length episodes of The Trenches. I think we're up to 22 episodes now, which is pretty cool. It's really nice. But uh, here I am, a couple yeah. months hiatus, back talking about a bunch of things today. Hopefully at some point we'll be joined by our colleague... Uh, Douglas Hoyabu. Grugless. Grug. No Grug. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great having you here again. Once again, it's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. We're the number one show, in part because of you. I'll take it. And also, Doug, uh, the number one show on the podcast radio network right There's here. There's something on the wing. Yes. Uh, Gremlins. Going, in, going into full Will Shatner mode there. Oh, Billy. Monday nights, 1030 Eastern, 730 p.m. Pacific on the podcast radio network. We're also available on iTunes, Google Play, podcast.com, TuneIn, Mixcloud, Stitcher, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. So, are those in any specific order, or do you no, just? Just I just. Have, do you have an acronym to remember all of those? I try to. I try to indeed because it's a lot of channels. But we're greatly appreciative appreciative of being on each and every one of those you know networks. If it's easier for you to go to iTunes, or if it's easier to use TuneIn to download our show each and every, and we always throw in a bonus podcast. Each and every time we put something up on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. Could be a Rob McCallum show. Could, could be. Could be a Humanica Media show. Could be the Wine Women of Words. Could, could be, be a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Yes, could be a Game Source podcast. You never know what each and every show will bring. It's like a little surprise when you download direct. Exactly. Like you know, finding something in the cereal box right there for you. It's like finding something that you probably knew was in there thanks to advertising. There you go. Indeed. You go. Indeed. Yeah, well, I have to advertise it on our social Were you media. one of the kids that used to just reach into the box, like open it, like it not even necessarily? in the morning for it, breakfast? It depended on the prize. And I, and I said, like, a kid, like, you didn't do that, like, last week. No, I, I eat Raisin Bran. They don't give anything away. On How do you know? You should dig deeper. I will. I'll, right. I'll do that next time. They should, Raisin Bran should come with, like, a coupon, at least, for toilet paper. Yeah, that, uh, maybe I should go and uh, tell, you know... Do you put Kellogg's, sugar on your Raisin Bran? Kellogg's, get your act together, man! No right. sugar. You don't do sugar, do you? Yeah. Look Kel- at you. Kellogg, you know, it's... Raisin bread, it's got enough sugar as is. Have you seen the sugar content? In Canada, it doesn't taste like there's any sugar. That's the last time I had raisin okay. bread. Maybe down here, there's a, those raisins are just loaded. I don't uh, know. It is uh, quite a bit indeed. Is it like Frosted Flakes with raisins? Yes. Well, the reason why you have been uh, just like on fire and you've not been able to be on the show as much as you'd like... I'm on fire! Because you are doing everything across the board and before we go yeah. ahead and get on the topics today we'll talk later on about Nintendo Switch sure later on the show we're also going to be talking about uh, you know maybe some of the movies that are coming up okay. or your thoughts as far as DC or Marvel which one you like better oh here we go again time. I feel like this is 
the debate that never ends, DC versus Marvel. We're also going to have a taste of the gamer cast, as far as you know, one of your shows that you're associated with, cool. with your good friend, so I'll let you set that up that. cross-pollination. Yes, exactly, later on, and then also the trenches, a little bit of, you know, on your latest interview. Sure, We'll Tim give everybody Clark, another yeah. sample of that. But uh, first, I want to talk about your projects, because you've got a... Basically, if you line all the projects right here... Okay, Retro here City at Retro City Games, will, yes. will it, do they all fit in one case here? I don't think it would fit in one case. Okay. It's, it's just overflowing. It's an overflowing... It's, with, a, it's with, a font of projects at this point. Yes. So just let us know or let everybody out there know what's going on with Rob McCallum Films and all the wonderful things that are going on in your life. I guess the easiest thing to do is really start from the beginning with like Nintendo Quest, uh, the film that probably they best know... Uh, Rob McCallum Films and myself, Rob McCallum for So for Nintendo Quest and the subsequent follow-up series, Nintendo Quest Power Tour, uh, we've got really, really big news. Very recently, we just announced that Nintendo Quest and the Power Tour series, all nine episodes plus the feature film, are going to be streaming exclusively in North America, at least in the U.S. for now, on Comic-Con HQ. Now, if you don't know what Comic-Con HQ is... It's a streamable service. They have an app for it. So if you have Apple TV or you can stream it through your PlayStation uh, 4 or your Xbox One, it'll be part of the Amazon video app. You can check it out that way. Uh, and they have tons of pop culture stuff. They have other collectible shows. They have Mark Hamill has Pop Culture Quest on And there's there. a free trial. I, there I, is a free trial for, I think it's seven days. Yes, and if you go to the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, actually, you'll notice that I've actually posted their ad from time to time. Cool. So if you scroll down on the news feed, you will find it out there. And, yeah, they have the Mark Hamill and the... They, uh, Care Bears. Uh, yeah, the Care Bears was a new one that they just added. The Tick. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of other great programming. And they as have well. a ton of original series. And, you know, this deal, I, I kid you not, has been like in the works for like eight months. It's been back and forth for eight months. And I've been sitting on this massive, massive thing waiting for the final sign off. And now finally, Nintendo Quest gets another big push with a Lionsgate company, Comic-Con HQ, everything pop culture, are alongside the good people. Again, it's not just the feature film, it's a follow-up series, so you can kind of see what happens after the fact and what happens when we take the film across the country and everybody else's reactions to that. We'll have more from Rob here in a bit, but right now it's Plasma Z with Mango.
That's Plasma Z. Catch all of his great songs today on SoundCloud. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach. And get your home looking great with always green synthetic turf and putting greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse Channels. What's up, guys? It's Rob McCallum, host of The Trenches. If you don't know what that is, well, I'm going to tell you. Every now and then, I call up friends, colleagues, and sometimes people I don't even know and chat with them for an hour or so. It's all unscripted, unedited, and unpredictable. Why should you care? Well, if you're a creative person like me, you'll get to hear unbelievable and incredible stories because the one through line that connects all my guests is that they make their living doing something creative in the trenches. Get it? On the latest episode of The Trenches, Rob McCallum interviews toy creator Tim Clark. One of the emails that you sent me in getting ready for this jumped out, jumped out at me because it said, you, you do realize this is costing us $2,000 a minute, which was in reference to the only thing that's ever stressed you out. Exactly. So nobody knows necessarily where that might come from. So why don't you tell them what what the scenario of that is? Um, The first day of shooting on the Dark Crystal. No big deal, first of all. Right. And the Mystic scene was the very first uh, scene shot of of the Mystic Valley. And uh, the second unit director came over and I was sitting there with all the mystics lined up. The puppeteers were in the costumes and um, the head and neck piece was separate. And that was, they were sitting there waiting with those parts off and their arms out. And they were lined up and I was sitting there eating a sausage and egg sandwich for my breakfast. <laughs> And he was, it bothered him that I was, one, eating my breakfast and that I was relaxed. Now, Grant, this was the first movie he had ever done. And I had already worked on Sesame Street. And um, so where I hadn't been working on a movie, I knew what it was like to get set. And he came over to me and he was very, really 
you know, like wired. And he said to me, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? And I said, yes, we're, we're just eating our breakfast. And as soon as you guys need us, we'll be on set. And he said, are you sure, Tim? Are you sure you're ready? Because you do realize this is costing us $2,000 a minute. I said, okay, okay, don't worry. You know, we're all set. And of course, we all, I got all the mystics onto the set. And all the dressers got them into their costumes. They all got in place. And they said, okay, 45-minute break. We need to reset the lights, you know, which is always, you know, it's always hurry up and rush. Right? Yeah, hurry up and wait a little bit, yeah. We're going to cover a bunch of the stuff that uh, that you've worked on through your whole career, and I, I, I'm fascinated. Like, you're the kind of – one of the people that definitely got me to where I am today as a storyteller and as a filmmaker and, like, my hobbies and passion. But what would you say that it is that you do more than anything? If you could bundle down your skills into one kind of job title, whether it's traditional or something that you've made up, what would it be? I'm a designer of okay. many things, but mostly toys and puppets and um, kayaks and furniture and sculptor. I guess that's it in a nutshell. Sure. And uh, what was it in your youth, you think, or growing up that led you to kind of really have a fascination to working with your hands and understanding design and ma making that leap into that kind of that profession of yours? Um, my parents didn't discourage me. <laughs> they, they were very supportive since um, my brother is an illustrator my sister is a sculptor, painter, potter, you know, ceramicist. So all three of us are creative. Um, my mom was very creative, but um, she was um, discouraged by her mother from doing anything creative. And so she was exactly the opposite. And I was very fortunate in that my uncle worked for a printing company and he always had end runs of paper. So as kids, we had an endless supply of paper. To draw. But most of it, I would say it was because my parents weren't afraid to encourage us to be creative people. So from filmmakers to animators to action figure sculptors and authors, we talk with a lot of folks and no one has the same story. So check out The Trenches here on the Pop Culture Cosmos or on iTunes. And we're back once again. Uh, from I don't even know where we left off. Um, we were talking about all your famous projects. Uh, once again, this is uh, Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, along like with my good friend, who's uh, not very happy to be sitting here right now, Rob McCallum. I'm from not Rob even comfortable. Rob McCallum Films. Well, then, let's get comfortable. We're doing this live, man. Where do you want to sit? Where I do want to stand. I'm a stander. You don't want a baser. Yes. We got a three, two, one, stand. Three, two, one, one stand. Yeah, there you there go. go. Perfect. Now, now we're talking. You've got box art, the documentary, the docu-series that's yeah. really doing well for you as far as in, in going, as far as full steam ahead. Your your prospects as far as developing that into really a series that people can get behind, whether it's, you know, through whatever, whatever outlet it ultimately ends up getting on. So. Yeah, it's... Uh... 
it'll be interesting to see how people react because it's much more of an interview series. Like, I don't want to say like a talk show, but it's not like game hunting like Nintendo Quest was, but it is very video game related, of course. Uh, but it's a little bit more patient. You get to know who these people are and some of their inspirations and how that leads to the art that they did so you can see the cause and effect that there's actually a lot of personality in the covers that we know and love or at least recognize that made a stamp in the industry. So without being like too highbrow, it's kind of an important series because these people... First of all, we're all shocked that we wanted to interview them. Yeah. But they would have never had their story told if we didn't do that. So it's that kind of piece of gaming history that at least exists now for the sake of the series. And it's a series that can keep going on and on and on. Yeah. Because we really only have like 12 to 15 people featured in the first six episodes. We have a list of like 100 plus yeah. that would be interviewed. So hopefully... Uh, someone like Comic-Con HQ or other related channels that like video game content will see the value in this, will see the legs in the, in the way that the formula can be repeated with other people, and we'll keep getting to do Season 2 and Season 3 and so on and so forth. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good indeed. There's also other things you've got on the plate in regards to, well, one of the most iconic individuals as far as ever, as far as 80s cartoons is concerned. Okay. And we're not talking G.I. Joe. Uh, we're not talking Scooby-Doo. Although Scooby-Doo by that time had really just di hit a different phase that I didn't like. But we won't go into that one either. You know, Scrappy-Doo. Yeah, like don't even Vincent start. Vincent Price no, no. and 13 Ghosts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't even start with Scrappy-Doo. The Three Stooges. Smack that little, yeah, anyways. Um, we're going to be talking about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You've also got another docu documentary that's going to be out soon. Yeah. Or sooner or soonish. Um, that's a collaboration effort as far as bringing you the best of what He-Man had to offer as far as why it was such a such iconic you know, member of the cartoon series and, and brings back such fond memories for a lot of people during the 80s cartoon series. Yeah, so Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters Universe. We go back and essentially tell the story of how this toy came to be, how it led to a cartoon, how it spun off into another toy and cartoon with She-Ra, how the live-action movie with Dolph Lundgren got produced, and then how the initial toy line went down and then subsequent reboots and the degrees in which they were successful or not successful and how all that stuff gets stitched together over across 30 to 40 years. And essentially, it's a good look at the toy industry and the animation industry in America and how that changes over time and how uh, something like a product like He-Man is at the center of it. Uh, we're hoping to have the world premiere in L.A. in September, I believe. It's loose, so put an asterisk on that. Uh, we're trying to see if we can make it as part of PowerCon, which is uh, the world's only He-Man She-Ra convention, which would be great, so we're talking to those people. And uh, you're not wrong, you almost did docu-series at the beginning when introducing this. What we're doing for Kickstarter backers, as you know, what the one thing we always do, at least when I'm doing my campaigns, there's the 90-minute kind of for everybody version, then there's like the extended director's cut. Yeah. And for our extended director's cut, I'm a little bit more in the driving chair working with my guys uh, faux pop media where they're going to play a more supportive role but I'm going to I'm going to carve this out as a series so we're going to try to do 10 episodes if we can 6 to 10 somewhere in there but would there be an initial documentary that you would, you would send out to audiences as initially as a film yeah say? so it'll go out as a 90 minute film first that those guys have been spearheading in and I've been kind of back one step for objectivity to kind of say you know maybe this maybe that and then the roles are going to reverse and now that the 90 minute film's out I'm going to get to craft this this 10 episode series hopefully 10 episodes and those guys will be in the support chair helping me kind of navigate those pieces so people can see a really in-depth look that does talk about stuff like the origin of toys that does look at he-man in contrast to transformers and gi joe and ninja turtles that does look at 
why Marvel decided to do a whole new line of comic books called Star Comics to take advantage of nothing but IPs that they didn't create. Oh, so we really okay. get to go in-depth even more and more nuts and bolts. Well, that's really great indeed, and that's something to definitely look out for, especially if you have a fondness for the, the awesome 80 cartoon series, which everybody has seems to have at least that, that lived through it, that had that one or two special yeah, ones. And He-Man obviously comes to mind as, as a big favorite indeed, so definitely looking out for that as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. Check it out every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Uh, any other projects that you you've got on the on, uh, right now cooking on the fire? Well, I know I, mean, I know you got finished just got finished with Chicago White Sox, and I'm sure that was a, a different experience for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean it was cool to work with NBC and have them hire myself and my one of my collaborative partners, Justin Schoenrock, and his company Creative Dynamic that I often collaborate with. Uh, we got to shoot the season opener promo for the Chicago White Sox in Chicago. And the day that we had to shoot, Chicago got dumped with a blizzard. And there was no <laughs> snow for 100 days. And then we had this concept that doesn't have snow in it. And now we're shooting like in the ballpark. And, you know, we have to show the skyline. And it can't have any snow. So it became a, a fun creative challenge to get, to get around that. But, it, but we made it work. So that oh, that's was a great. lot of fun. That's great indeed. Any future plans with as far as that? We don't know. Obviously. I mean, we have a good relationship with NBC. Justin had previously worked with them and stuff, cutting uh, commercials for the Bulls, Blackhawks, and Cubs. And he's won a bunch of Emmys doing that. So we may put this into consideration for the Emmys, depending on how the, it kind of goes over with everybody. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you never know what, what's going to happen. So, like I said, if you've got so many things on the fire. And if somebody wants to keep up to date with everything that you're doing, and also take a look at all the great stuff that you've already put out there already, where can they go? Where do they need to channel into and, and you know to keep up to date with not only what you're doing now, but what you've done so far in the past? RobMcCallumFilms.com is honestly the easiest. It's, it's probably a few months behind at any given point, but it is the one-stop shop for everything that's going on. And the reason that, why it can't ever be fully up to date, day and date, is because things are changing so much in flux. And it's hard to put that much energy in as things change as quickly as, as they do in the in the film industry. Like, Missing Mom was just selected by the Saskatchewan uh, uh, Missing Persons Liaison Unit. So it'll be screening there in Regina and Saskatoon. That's a Canadian province and two Canadian cities for everybody that doesn't know. Exactly. So. And that's that's something. Tell us a little, you know, a little bit more about Missing Mom. I know I've played the commercials. Yeah. I know I've interviewed before in the past. But for those just, just checking into Rob McCown's world... 
what is Missing Mom and how important it is in your life at this point in time? Well, Missing Mom is another documentary that I got to do. It features my brother and I as we hit the road in an attempt to try to find our mom who's been missing for almost 25 years. Um, so we basically get to play Batman and Sherlock Holmes to follow a breadcrumb trail of clues that are made up of half-truths and, and sometimes riddles from that we hear from our family members in order to see if we can actually find our mom and what maybe even happened to her. And go through the, all the, uh, as someone who's seen it, and gone, I, I had to witness firsthand all the emotional highs and lows that you went through as far as, you know, until whatever, you know, the ultimate outcome is. I can't yeah. go on to say because of spoilers, obviously, sure. but... Um, you know, it, it's such a compelling film and where can they find that as far as you know because Missing Mom like you said is winning awards all over yeah, the place we've it, won six awards across the world best documentary best directing artistic and technical merit been very fortunate um, it's been in eight different festivals and again we won six awards across the eight which is extraordinarily high uh, robmccallanfilms.com has links to it you can check it out there for sure uh, vimeo.com uh, slash on demand slash missing mom Doc, it's there. Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Missing Mom Doc on Facebook. It's out there. Just type in Missing Mom Doc and Missing Mom Rob McCallum and you'll see it. So it's available now on rent or yeah, to you, buy? you can download a rent. There's like a dollar difference between the price and it's really low. I think it's Seven ninety nine to buy and five ninety nine to rent. You know, uh, so but it definitely it easy. It definitely at times tugs on the heartstrings, indeed. But it is definitely something that that everybody out there. You know, everybody's got a mom, so everybody yeah. definitely. Uh, it's a can, universal can, film. Yes, it is, and it definitely is something to worth watching. Indeed, it's, it's highly recommended. Uh, you know, all and, your and great to projects. have a state police service acknowledge the documentary as representative of that emotional roller coaster and seed it as part of their programs for families in those specific cities that I mentioned to really get an idea of what you know other people are going through, so they don't feel alone. It's probably a bigger honor than any of the film awards that we won. Because oh, it's the police saying, this is good, this is what people need to know about, and we're going to help push it for you. Oh, that's awesome indeed. So check everything out on robmccallumfilms.com or catch him on social media, Rob McCallum Films, or any one of the projects that he's doing, like He-Man, like Missing Mom, like uh, Nintendo Quest, the NES. It's all out there. It's all out there indeed, so you'll be able to catch everything that he's doing indeed. It's like I say, once you start following Rob McCallum on social media, it's uh, it's quite an adventure indeed. There's always something new. So when we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, some things going on as far as the Nintendo Switch, because I know as a man who directed Nintendo Quest, obviously Nintendo is at very much at heart for him. And then later on, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the films that are out there, including his thoughts on the DC versus Marvel Universe as far as movies are concerned, and his thoughts on The Last Jedi coming up. But I know for, for uh, you know, right now we've got, to, if you're listening to this on our show, we're going to be playing a little cut from Plasma Z. This is Mango. And then also, we're going to be playing, right after the break, we're going to be playing one of your shows. Tell us a little bit more about The Trenches and your latest episode. Uh, the Trenches is my ongoing audio series where I get to talk to people that make their living doing creative things and spend it in the trenches. So whatever the obstacles are, that's what they do for a living because that's what they love. So filmmakers, artists, uh, sculptors. In my last one, I got to talk to Tim Clark, who worked on The Dark Crystal, who worked with Sesame Street and Fraggle Rock, and all those wonderful puppet builders right out of college. He's the creator of the Boglins toy line. He's the creator of the Sectars toy line, which was a Coleco product. And he's uh, still at it, pushing these these products out there right now for possible rebirth today. So it's a great interview, and I really hope everybody checks it out because if you love anything pop culture and nostalgic, 
you definitely need to hear that entire episode of The Trenches. Indeed. It needs uh, definitely uh, looking forward to playing that here in a moment right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is game night once again right here at Retro City Games. My name is Gerald Glassford from Cos- Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Pop Look at it. Culture That's Cosmos. right. Pop Culture Cosmos right here and Game Source. Take a look at everybody out there. Right there, there's Nicole and Doug right here at Retro City Games. That's Retro City Games on Facebook. The leaders in Southern Nevada as far as, well, retro gaming. There you go, indeed. And there you go, matching. There you go, cell phone to cell phone right there. Indeed. We're back, indeed. It's truly a pleasure to have you back. We're the number one show on the Podcast Radio Network. Check us out every Monday night, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And then also our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse, the man right here who helped me create it, Mr. Rob McCallum, robmccallumfilms.com, and all the great stuff he's doing. It's every Friday night at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Got to get all these times Got to get it in there. Uh, exactly. That's right there on the Podcast Radio Network and also nine other downloadable outlets. So, yeah, it's, which always gets his, you know, but I'm, I'm still, hey, I'm still looking for even more audio. I know. Indeed. You're not going to be happy until it's at least 12. Exactly. Well, the larger audience, the better. The more people who want to listen to our product, that, that's awesome indeed. So, Bless we truly appreciate it. Bless yes. them all. Well, we want to talk about Nintendo Switch, which I okay. know for you as the man behind Nintendo Quest. It's, it's I love that you just positioned me as somewhat of an authority because I made a documentary on Nintendo. Yes, okay. yes, indeed. And okay, it's truly sure. something that, that you are, are closely associated with. So yep. I know I I know you've actually, you know, taken take a look. I know you talked about it on one of the latest GamerCasts as well. As far Did as, we? I uh, think you might have. And we're okay. going to be playing a cut. What month is it? Well, the month is now is April. Okay. Yes. All right. We talked about that before. Had some issues yeah, with it's the month past before. My bedtime, there you go. I know. I'm on I know. East Coast Canada time. And we're also going to be uh, playing a cut of GamerCast again for you later on in the show. Cool. But in regards to Nintendo Switch, the Switch, I know Douglas Hoyabu, who's the owner of Retro City Games, may not be loving as far as what he's seen so far. He but sold his Switch already. I know I, that. Yeah, that, that's something that's uh, I know a lot of people would be maybe a little bit uh, apprehensive. Why did he do that? There's a lot of love for it out there right now. The, the you know Obviously, the unit sold over a million and a half uh, units out there worldwide. It seems like it's a great hit and could match the PS4 sales long term depending on quality and, and quantity of output and quality of games or whatnot. But your thoughts on Nintendo Switch so far is from what you've seen and observed, you know, maybe from a little bit from a distance as far as you know, sure. what the Nintendo Switch is all about. And do you see the same sort of uh, success timeline for the Nintendo Switch as the PlayStation 4? I, I think it's... <laughs> like, put that right in there for you. I think it's hard to compare it to something like the PS4, which is just a juggernaut. I mean, those numbers that it has to hit in order to do it. I mean, it's already lagging when you look at launch dates and stuff like that. Aside from the months that are obviously going to be different, PS4 launched just before Christmas. Yes. I think it was like the 16th of November, somewhere around there. Um, it's it's going to be apples to oranges. You're going to have two different gaming crowds. Obviously, people are really excited about the Switch. It's still sold out everywhere. It still combines that handheld and home kind of console feel, and I know a lot of people really dig on that concept. Most people, I think, aside from Zelda, don't have enough to play that's exciting. Everything's a mercy buy right now. Super Mario Kart will be out when this around yeah, the time that this but airs. Still, it's like a reskin, right? Like yes. it's cool for people that maybe want something to play on the Switch for the sake of needing to play something on the Switch. But it isn't Mario Odyssey. No. 
And so, is Breath of the Wild enough? I know a lot of people beat Breath of the Wild like in the first week. There's still a lot of other things to do, and I know a lot of people saying Breath of the Wild is like a perfect game, or like incredibly close to perfect. Um, do you I don't know. Do you, see a lot, do you see a lot of similarities to the Wii? Because the Wii had a lot of, let's say, shovelware, a lot of games that came out, maybe not of the best quality. In this instance, you have Nintendo Switch with a lot of downloadable titles. Some are of, of good quality, but there's a lot of, of downloadable titles, a lot of selections that people can choose have either been played already, they're just reskins like you're talking about, or they're games that really just don't match up in quality. The difference between the Switch and the Wii is that the Wii was a complete game changer, right? Like, yes. Nobody had ever seen anything like the Wii, and then to have a game like Wii Sports as a pack-in, Again, another game changer. It was like Mario and Duck Hunt, the two-pack being packed into the NES, where it gave you a lot of different things to play within those two games. You know, everybody can pick up the gun and shoot it at the screen. Well, Wii Sports is exactly that all over again. Your grandma, your little sister, you know, your brother can all pick up a Wiimote and play bowling. It's not hard, so it's more accessible. The Switch is veering towards a much more adult, gamer-oriented audience. So it's not going to have the staying power as the Wii U by or the Wii by virtue of that it's not going after that broad-based audience. And I think Nintendo tried to do the, the broad audience again with the Wii U, and it failed, uh, according to the numbers anyway. So I don't know. There was definitely a lot of shovelware on, on the Wii. Is it shovelware yet? No, but it's like B and C titles. It's not quite D, I think. We'll see what happens in a year. I think you got to like go year to year. So what are your long-term prospects for the actual Switch as a whole? Because Zelda is a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Doug, Douglas notwithstanding. Yeah. But it's a great, great experience for most people. Uh, and But that's only goes so far. Do you see something as far as maybe with Splatoon 2 or, or maybe the next, the next Mario game that comes out supposedly it's, it's later this down, year? It's going to come down to Mario Odyssey. I really think that game has to be a difference maker. Zelda is obviously like a big uh, flag bearer. But they need a one-two punch. They sh- I would have rather had them hold off Zelda until the summer, like June, like at E3, and then Mario Odyssey like in November, because then it's only like a four-month gap. You know, Nintendo is very famous for those seasonal, you know, first-party yes. IP drops. So that would have made more sense. We're really going like eight months between uh, mega titles that aren't reskins or sequels. Splatoon 2, sure, it could be cool, but I think it has like a cult following. ARMS, I'm not so sure. Eh. And the last thing I want to talk to you about when it comes to Nintendo Switch, do you see a problem, again, with availability? But this time, people were willing to tolerate it when it came to the Wii. Um, people were willing to, to maybe set it aside, and but maybe there was a little bit of a backlash when the Wii U came out, maybe a little bit from that. But then the I NES, think, with, now we've got the NES Mini that well, just got this. This is disc- the problem. I, I think and got between, discontinued. between Amiibos, the NES Classic Mini, or whatever you want to call it, and now the Switch, it's like, Nintendo, you're printing money. Why aren't you like shipping more? I, and we know the SNES Mini console is probably going to be a thing probably. this holiday. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you see an issue where maybe consumer backlash might work against them at a later point in time? So I think it's already working against them. People are really upset that they can't get the NES Mini. You know, people were really upset they couldn't get the Amiibos they wanted when the Amiibos were a thing. And the prices for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One are going to continue to go continue down. Continue to drop, and they're going to continue to be available. And Scorpio is going to be a thing, and, and the Play, PlayStation 4 Pro will go down in price. Yeah. So so the market, I think, is a little bit different when but the But I Wii wonder if they're shortchanging everybody so that they can release another Switch with a different chipset inside like a version 2.0, because it's essentially just like a tablet, right? Yes. So that chipset is going to be easily replaceable. 
and I don't know if they're going to call it like a Pro or a Scorpion, or if they're just going to just keep changing it under the hood every couple of years. But because the tech that they're using in there is so readily available, I would say count on upgrades happening to that stuff. Is that what you would design? Let's say you're running Nintendo right now. Let's say that I'm running Nintendo. What were you? What would you actually focus on first and foremost when it comes to the actual success? going forward for, for for the Switch? Exclusivity games and games. I mean, they have third-party support, which is nice, but there's a lot of ports. And if I've already got a PS4 or an Xbox One because, you know, the Wii U didn't grab my attention with third-party stuff, so I'm getting those consoles for it, what is the Switch bringing to the table at a, like a 720p sort of resolution? Sure, maybe I can take it on the go, but I don't know. They're going to need some really big exclusive. Sony has made their bread and butter off all the exclusives that they get. You know, only on Sony, only on PlayStation, right? Nintendo has to do the same thing. They always do a good job with their first party IP. Where can they go for third party exclusivity that nobody else has? And that's going to be the difference maker. That's some great thoughts from Rob McCallum of Rob McCallum Films. If you have any questions for him or for any of us right here at the the Pop Culture Cosmos show, give us a shout out, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, which Cosmo you know, still it won't do the S. Twitter won't give me the S. You gotta change that. Got it. Well, Pop Culture underscore PCC or something. Uh, that's hard. It's harder because they're usually booked by someone else. Well, now they are because I threw it out there. And there you, you go. Indeed. Yeah. Or on Facebook or Twitter, Pop Culture Cosmos as well. Humanity Media and also Game Source on Facebook. So I'm gonna look up some Twitter stuff. Right there you now. go. Right while he's doing that. We're also going to play a cut right after the break of GamerCast with Jay, Rob, and Glenn. Tell us a little bit about you know, what's going on with GamerCast with Jay, with Rob, and, and with Glenn. Glenn. Uh, I don't know. A lot of GamerCast stuff, I hope, is going on right now. Here's our good friend DJ. You there, you go. D- it. there you go. Sorry, there you go. There he is. There you go. Oh, are you? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. We're broadcasting. Unfortunately, the, the laptop kind of croaked on us, so yes. we're going uh, resourceful. Yes, yeah. yes. So we're going resourceful. Cool. Yeah. So while we have you here... And before we get back to uh, oh, GamerCast, what's going on with Henshin Engine? Uh, well, Henshin Engine's doing good. We're, we're, we're getting down to the last few... Uh, <laughs> we're getting down there with, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're probably at like 70% right now, so... Whoa. We're in like Henshin oh. right We're in like running around with like... It's, it's really hectic right now. But where else are you showing the game? Because I know you've uh, hinted to people exactly. You, you were know, at Midwest Gaming Class. Yeah, we were yes. just at Midwest How'd Gaming Class. Go? It went really well. We had Henshin Engine playing on like, the projector on the wall in the turbo room. It, it was good. A lot of people came, checked it out. A lot of good feedback. It, it, was, it was really good. I'm doing this in the dark from yeah. behind. So. so then we're going we're gonna to um, show it off at Level Up Expo, which is, you know, it's not really like... Like a gamer gamer con, but it's just more exposure. You've got a you got a nice anime kind of flair to what you're doing, anyways. Right, yeah. And so that's we kind of that's yeah. what we're hoping that we can like kind of like mix yeah. in with with that. Um, and then we're going to show it off at uh, Game On Expo, and Game On Expo is actually going to be in Arizona, correct? In Arizona, yeah, yes. in August. Yeah. Yep, and that's going to be like the big. That's big, the big one because now Game On Expo show. is going from the Mesa Convention Center. The Phoenix, Phoenix wow. there you and go. That's where they host Phoenix Comic Con. Yeah, so it's a big the, deal. The venue is a lot, a lot bigger. Yeah, you know, so it, it, the stakes are on for the final build, right? So where, where can somebody find out more information on Henshin Engine itself? So you can go to www.henshinengine.com, and um, or you can go facebook.com forward slash Henshin Engine. Uh, fair enough, indeed. Fair enough, indeed. So that's great, right here, DJ Medina with Henshin Engine telling you all about what's going on with their awesome game. 
and then about GamerCast with, with J. Rob and Glenn. What do you guys like to talk about, and, and how often does it come on the air? It's supposed to be every month, and we talk about nothing but uh, BS, antics in the video game world, okay. sometimes movie and music. It's uh, the most arguably fun, arguable show. Oh, that's awesome indeed. Yeah. So, and that'll be playing a cut of that right here. It's time for more sarcasm, more gloating, more pop culture BS, and ridiculous video game chat as GamerCast returns for Season 2. My name is Rob McCallum, and this year, once again, I'm joined by Mr. Glenn Stanway and my lifelong friend, Jay Bartlett. This year, the show moves to a slightly different format, favoring a more unedited adventure that lets us include more topics as we get together once a month to vent and celebrate everything going on in the gaming industry today and yesteryear. Nintendo is skeptical that Switch docks are scratching screens. Now, we've seen a bunch of pictures all over the place, and yet Reggie says, oh, this isn't a thing at all. So I find it interesting that Nintendo okay, is look, skeptical. You know what? Yeah, but people used to throw their Wii remotes to their TV screens, yeah. too, and I never understood that. I'm pointing the finger at you and Why? saying that you are a responsible gamer. I'm a responsible gamer. You, eh, not so much, but you're good. Who is scratching these screens? What are you doing to these screens? People blame Nintendo. It's like, what are you doing? The notion is that they put, they're putting the Switch back in the dock and it's being scratched by the inside of yeah, the Yeah, but dock. focus on the headline, Nintendo's skeptical. Yeah, because everyone's an idiot who's doing that. I'm sorry, but it's just like, put it We're back. reporting on it, skepticism it, at this point. It, it, if, you can't, if you can't put it in the cradle, you shouldn't have a system. Sorry. But seriously, give me, a, give me a break, man. All right, here, here's the last headline. This is courtesy of Kotaku. Star Wars The Last Jedi's red font is cause for concern. Star Wars The Last Jedi's red font is cause for concern. It's <laughs> like concerning, by the way. No, we got to these people who can't sleep at night because Ryan Johnson's font is red. Ryan Johnson is Breaking Bad fame and yeah. a few Looper and some other stuff. Well, it can't have a red font because it's cause for concern. About what? That Luke's going to be a bad guy? I don't know. It's cause for concern. All I know is I better click it to ease my concern. Click the headline. Those are the headlines. Thanks again to Moto Arcade. Check out her Japanese snack videos. Watch them. If, uh, if you had to write a ridiculous Kotaku headline, Rob, what would it be? It would be nothing. Oh, 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 oh. hold on. If you had to write a ridiculous Kotaku headline about Nintendo Quest... What would it be? Okay, so now you're framing it because usually Kotaku headlines don't necessarily have anything to do with video games. Unfortunately, oh. Nintendo Quest has something to do with video games. So if it was about Nintendo Quest, it'd be like road trip gone awry, see how it failed, video games. <laughs> like it would just be incoherent. And there would be like a hashtag in there to do it. I think that's what would yeah. be the thing. Yeah. Jay? Kotaku headline. Headline uh, challenge. This is a good one. This is good. I'd say like uh, two best friends make video game dock. This is too good. But how close friends are they? Let's see clickbait. Like so they'd be like pit us against each other kind of thing. Yeah. Friends or foes? Video game dock yeah. tells us more. Nintendo Quest's lack of Flintstones is cause for concern. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo Quest with lack of Nintendo cause for concern. <laughs> Anything with cause for concern, that, that makes a Kotaku article. I just want to throw something out here. <laughs> or, or we went down to Georgia and smoked a lot of meat. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Do you remember that? That's probably the best yeah. headline. That's the best Kotaku headline. Person in Georgia smokes a lot of meat. It's like, what? <laughs> so if you like the idea of arguing with us, though we'll never be able to hear you, then you definitely want to check out GamerCast. Season 2 is really going to take it up a notch. That's GamerCast here on the PCC, the Pop Culture Cosmos, on iTunes, and on Podbean. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show once again from game night right here at Retro City Games, Woo! right here. Some Woo! nice Mutant League hockey yes. going on over there. There you go. Mutant League, Mutant League hockey is being played right now as we speak. I just speak. finished working with the guys from Mutant Football League, too, on their Kickstarter campaign. Exactly. So you got Everybody it. was talking about, are you going to do Mutant Hockey League? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It's not for me to say. But it it is, again, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. I'm here along with my good friends, DJ Medina from Henshin Engine. Sure, Moro, yeah. Yeah, There you go. And also, (laughs) as well, Mr. Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. It's true story. Yes. Speaking of films, I want to talk a little bit about DC versus the Marvel Universe. You're stuck in this now. I know you wanted to talk to me. Now we're, now we're, I, I know. I didn't even there know you guys were filming. I yeah, we're over, over here. We're filming. Now, this is what happens at game night. This, yeah. There you go. Right on the fly. So I'll tell you what. I know we want to talk a little bit about DC versus Marvel, especially with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 coming out, which yeah. you've never been a big fan of. Uh, yeah, like that's pretty much so far par for the course when you've ever uh, talked about it. Uh, but at this another point, Marvel movie about a team of heroes who can't get along. Yes. Mm. Yes, indeed. Original. Yeah. But when are you talking about, uh, where do you think both series stand as far as Marvel Universe and the DC Universe, and which one do you favor more at this point? Well, you contracted me to say that I've got to favor the DC Universe well, going into you, this. you're open-minded. I just thought... Open-minded, we, there's a gun to my head right now that not everybody can see. Okay, there you go. This doesn't need to be that there close. You go. There you go. Well, for the mic. I want to make sure the mic picks uh, up your awesome voice. Yeah, I, don't, I have trouble projecting. Yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm shy. I'm very quiet and timid. So meek. Yeah. Uh, I think DC's actually got a little bit more going for it than Marvel does. I mean, the whole Marvel universe with interstitching films, that niche in that little kind of shellac that they had above everybody else has, has started to wear off. And most people are watching Marvel movies now for that little end credit sequence that happens. There's five now rumored yeah. to be in the next uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, when people are watching for that more than the actual story or remember those. There's some issues. Or talk about those, then I think there's a really big issue in terms of storytelling and what what is worth what is worth kind of watching long term. DC stuff now might not always hit the grade and like might leave people disappointed, but people are always curious about what they're doing. So there's always that suspense and that wonder. I'm not sold on what Justice League looks like yet. But I do I do think and I talked about this last week with Josh that Wonder Woman seems to hold a lot of promise with and a lot of promise with uh, audience I hope as well. So. I really hope so. I mean it's a film that looks really good. It's in color. I it's it's per- bright. For me, it suffers, which is different for the DC Universe. For me, it suffers from it being essentially a prequel to everything. Because you know she's already alive and well. Yeah, so like, you know, she's not going to die, which isn't a big deal, but the stakes are down. So it's like, well, how did she like learn to meet Batman and Superman? Which could be a great story, but it's just like, no matter what comes at her, she's going to live. So I don't know. There's a lot, not a lot of stakes, but hopefully it's worth watching for more than that. Or when you go back to introduce these films to someone else, you watch that before you watch Batman Superman, you know. Well, one thing I do like is the fact that, you know, Josh and I have also talked about the fact they seem to, uh, both um, DC and the Marvel, especially Marvel Universe, 
tend to draw from as far as directors that that you know get some uh, very little acclaim on on smaller projects, but then put them into a larger setting. And for the most part, it's paid off. I mean, the latest uh, they've talked as far as well, not only as far as uh, what the the latest um, Captain Captain Marvel, yeah, Captain, yeah, Captain Marvel, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, actually two. Uh, directors uh, from a yeah. smaller indie project are now being hired to do that. But hey, you know, you know Joss Whedon is doing Black Batgirl. Panther as well. But Joss Whedon's on board for Batgirl now. Yeah. And if, with Bat in the title, you know it's going to be a hit. And you know, when we talk about DC versus Marvel, it's largely relegated to the silver screen. And you're forgetting about two very important segments of this comic book war that's going to go on for decades to come. And that's the smaller screen of TV where DC is crushing Marvel with all the shows they have on the CW with Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. And, I mean, Marvel is dipping their toe in with Legion now, which is actually pretty good. Yes. It's just the first show. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. has just been there. It's been like a superhero-like... X-Files thing, and sure, Daredevil was good, but Iron Fist got... They've got a show series coming to Freeform, and uh, yeah. Cloak and Dagger, and then they got their Netflix stuff. But DC has been crushing it on television. You know, Daredevil was good, Luke Cage was good, you know, Jessica Jones Oh, so you did good. like... Did you like uh, Luke, Luke it, Cage? It's good, but Iron I, Fist. I, pref I prefer Flash. I prefer Supergirl. I prefer mm. Arrow to all this. Smallville yeah. was awesome. And then you have the direct-to-DVD release stuff, which is all the great DC animation done by everybody. 2017 is a pinnacle year for Rob McCallum Films. Coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary Missing Mom, we're in the final stages to release Kitty, Origins and Evolutions. Check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in Kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity. Kitty, Origins and Evolutions releases this year from Rob McCallum Films. 2017 is the year to set your future on fire. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Hey, Uncle Rob, listen, I'm going to be in Ontario the first few weeks of November, and I'm starting another documentary. I'm actually going to see if I can track down my mom. Oh, good luck on that one. This is my mom. Terry Lee Parker. And this is the last image we have of her, because on the night of October 27, 1990, she vanished, and no one has seen her since. Being a mother, the worst thing always goes through your mind first. You know, I've even Googled her name, and the only Terry Lee Parker that ever come up on a hit was for some girl out in BC. I never believed the words she said. If she could tell me anything, I wouldn't believe it. So basically, the less we saw of her, the better it was. Would I chase her? No, I would not chase her. If I don't find anything, then I don't find anything, but at least I know I tried to do it. You don't know the whole story. I, I have no idea why she just up and ran. A lot of kids who don't know their biological parents really feel they need to find out where they came from. I always wish I knew what happened to her because she, she was important to me. I really don't think she wants to be found. People can have their names changed for a simple fee. It was almost like she had taken on this other identity. This isn't going to be figured out in a month. It might not be figured out in a year. She was a con artist. She could be living in Ontario. She could be living out west. She could be in jail. Somebody has to know where she is and what happened to her. Searching for the truth can be scary. You might not like what you find. Thinking about it now, like, yeah, it hurts. As more time passes, you know, you just have to think, maybe she isn't with us anymore. If you find her and you have an opportunity to say something 
What's the first thing going to come out of your mouth? Hi, Lee. I think you're my mom. That's Missing Mom from Rob and Callum Films. Available now to buy or rent on Vimeo. And we're back for the final time today on the Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm here along with my good friend, the mastermind behind Rob McCallum Films, Rob McCallum. And I, I just wanted to take this time to say thank you for everything that you've done as far as for Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source and everything you've done for both our Pop Culture Cosmos show on Monday nights and also our Friday night show, the PCC Multiverse. So uh, I know you're going to be on more shows down the road, but it may not be always that local feel, but still you're just going to be right there with us. Well, uh, we're going international, right? So, you know, we gotta, you got to expand from the global. we got to go international as I head back to Canada. So uh, I think it's good. It's going to be a good uh, transition for everybody. It'll give us some more stuff to talk about. Indeed. And, and you know, we've talked today about so many great things with you, Missing Mom. We've also got all the great things, the He-Man, as far as that upcoming documentary. We also mm-hmm. talked about, of course, Nintendo Quest and the Power Tour reaching the Comic-Con channel. And and we even got in that you know just before the break we got in uh, got in the ad for you know what's upcoming with your kitty documentary so many things box art the docu series that's going on one more time let everybody know just where can they go to get all the great info on everything that's going on in Rob McCallum Films and all of your various projects. Well, robmccallumfilms.com is definitely your one stop shop hub for everything that I'm doing in terms of my projects. But if you're uh, more into the social media scene, there are usually Twitter handles and Facebook pages for all the projects. It's usually just the, the project name and doc at the end, DOC. So like facebook.com slash missing mom doc or uh, He-Man doc. Uh, it's, all, it's all out there. But robmccallumfilms.com is the place to go to get everything. We try to keep it up to date with the biggest kind of shifts and news and what's happening for each of the projects. But you will find that minutiae on social media. So wherever you like to connect, you can find us. Indeed. And as the the months go on, you're, you're obviously going to drop in from time to time and share your thoughts exactly on everything that's going on in pop culture, with video games, with obviously as well films, movies. I'm like a well-timed and, Nintendo first-party game release. I drop in from time to time. And if everybody out there just gets a chance, check out robmccallumfilms.com and all of the great you know, social media channels that, that are a part of the, the Rob McCallum umbrella of great projects. Oh, look at that. There you go. Umbrella. Umbrella. <laughs> I was going to go with the web, you know, given Spider-Man's coming up and you know, that's, true, the web, that's true. The web of my empire. <laughs> you looking, you're looking forward to that sinister. one? You're looking yeah, forward to I, I am. I mean, uh, I think they're leaning a little bit too heavy on the Tony Stark stuff and the team up, but uh, I, I was always a big fan of Spider-Man in the high school years, if you will. So that's oh, what that's I like. Yeah, so I'm excited as well. I know everybody else out there is as well. It's a, a rebirth, so to speak, of the uh, Spider-Man character because of the good rub from Captain America Civil War. So let's let's hope for good things indeed. And, and Michael Keaton, right? Like, he's a great actor. I just watched The Founder not that long ago. That was a pretty great biopic on uh, Ray, Ray Kroc. Kroc. yes. The uh, founder, air quotes for everybody that can't see us, of McDonald's. Definitely looking forward to Spider-Man Homecoming when it comes out in July. Well, that's going to do it again for another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. (laughs) Yes, I'm shaking my head for all the viewers at home. 
We truly appreciate everyone out there being a part of the pop culture cosmos and just, you know, just so thrilled to be number one on the podcast radio network and hope you will continue supporting our Monday and our Friday shows. Yeah. Don't forget to check out the multiverse on Fridays. where We get a little bit more in-depth action from all our contributing members. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network and our nine other downloadable outlets. So for Rob McCallum. I was going to say, see ya. Thanks, for everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. So for Rob McCallum, this is Gerald Glassford saying it's going to be another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I'm Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. And uh, joining us this evening is Lynn Rymars. She is a uh, author and storyteller here in the Chicago area. Hi, Lynn. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hi. I need a glass of wine. Well, this is Wine, Women, and Words, so I have water. I should have my free to join. <laughs> Here we go. So just to give everyone a little bit of background, I met Lynn uh, a couple months ago. She was doing a performance as um, Nellie Bly, who is one of my favorite um, 
women in uh, women figure female figures. I'm on my second glass of wine now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, female historical figures, and um, Lynn has also done Zelda. So since we are doing our month of Zelda, we thought we would invite her to come on our show. Wonderful. So, Lynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, about what you do as a storyteller? Okay. Um, I have been doing storytelling, dressing up in historical women's costumes. I've been doing this since 2005. Um, this journey of mine started out with a woman named Mary Pickersgill in the Star Spangled Banner, and I now have 20 different historical women and um, I get to bring them to life in front of all different types of audiences. And it's been a really great journey for me to learn about some of the most amazing historical women that I did not know anything about. For instance, I knew nothing about Zelda. <laughs> she came as a big surprise to me. So um, I think she's been one of my uh, biggest surprises for historical women. So Why did you start doing Zelda out of curiosity? I actually, my son got married. Um, I was trying to think about this. Uh, is 2017? Uh, 2014. And he married a girl whose mother um, is from uh, Brevard, which is from the Asheville, North Carolina area. Mm-hmm. And she told me that I should do Zelda Fitzgerald. And I just was, I took up her challenge. I said, I love to read. I love to learn. And I wanted to learn about Zelda. So I got Nancy Milford's book um, on Zelda and really enjoyed that. Um, find out about her. I did Z Zelda by Teresa Ann Fuller, who you're going to have next week. Mm-hmm. And as I started, oh, and first of all, I, I had like about 15 bookings done for the fall. Uh, that's that summer before I even had a script done. <laughs> but I just, you know, I've done this before. I've, I've, I've read my material. I write a script. It all works out. But as I was um, learning about Zelda, I really did not like her. I thought she was just kind of spoiled. She did uh, crazy things. I just thought that how am I going to portray this woman? And I just told my son's future mother-in-law, I can't do Zelda. <laughs> And I thought, but I'm already committed to doing it. And I just kept reading and reading and researching. And kind of when I saw that she was a woman ahead of her time in a man's world, she had fabulous talent. She was a dancer, a brilliant writer. She was a painter. And she was really not able to grow into these wonderful talents and passions. That's when I thought that this is the story I want to tell. So that's basically how I crafted her. And plus, plus F. Scott stole her words and put them in his books. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I didn't know about that. People see that. And that's one of the most infuriating things is that, um, was it in Great Gatsby, the words that she said about their daughter? Their daughter. You know, I hope that she is a beautiful fool. Isn't she smart? She has the hiccups. I hope she is beautiful and a fool. Yes, a beautiful fool. And he gave those words to Daisy Buchanan. And that was after she had given birth to her daughter, Scotty. And she was kind of coming out of her, you know, somewhat drug state. And he took down those and she saw him writing some words down. And then he gives them to Daisy Buchanan. I thought yeah, that was and doing it without her permission too is yes. like, yeah. 
And then he took he took parts of her diary and even the first story that he wrote, there was the romantic egotist that he had written while he was at Princeton. And then it became um, This Side of Paradise when she read it and she saw that the main character, Rosalind, uh, was very much like her, even to the point of having yellow hair and dancing and um, being good with her words. And then she saw parts of her diary in there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and he did that in, in all, you know, four of his books. And it didn't start coming out until, what was it, the, until her biography that was done. Was that done in the late 80s? Oh, and he was furious. I mean, it was like after she had done, she started dancing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. She started going back to ballet. That was her passion. Mm-hmm. And she was spending like eight hours a day. She was the oldest in her class. And she was just really dedicated, determined. She wanted to find her dream. She wanted to find a passion. And then he just began drinking more and more. And I don't think he wanted her to have something of her own. He loved it when she was like the the woman who was drinking in the life of the party and all about him. Mm-hmm. But what I got from uh, Z was that it wasn't necessarily that he didn't want her to have something of his own, but he needed somebody to worship him. Yes. And he needed somebody to be dependent on him. And that's when the true problems started to happen when she wanted to be independent or not even fully independent, just from what we see like from a modern eye perspective where she, you know, it's not unheard of to have two writers in the family, a husband and wife who are writers or a husband who's a writer and a wife who's a ballerina to have a career. And I think it was, you know, when, when she started, she actually did have kind of a nervous breakdown when she was, you know, putting all this energy into dancing. She mm-hmm. lost 15 pounds. And I think that she kind of had a, a breakdown and that's when he put her in that sanitarium in Switzerland Mm-hmm. And she was there much longer than she thought. And mm-hmm. after she got out, the doctor and Scott said that she could not dance anymore because they thought that that mm-hmm. is what had caused her nervous breakdown. Uh-huh. And, and then she goes back to Montgomery, Alabama, where her family was, and finds kind of a sense of security there. And, and then he's, he goes to Hollywood to mm-hmm. become a screenwriter during that time. And she begins to write. And mm-hmm. she's a brilliant writer because she's had magazine articles. So he signed his name on some of her articles. Yes. And, them, and then got more money because it's his name. I thought that was also very bad. Yeah. I, I, she started writing. I just got to that part in Z where I, I think she sold her first short story. Mm-hmm. But the publisher and Scott both told her, well, you should put it under my name because you'll get more. More money. And and it's just like, really? <laughs> and the writer in me is like, why on earth would you would have sold? She would have sold just as much uh, under her name. I know. And she did sell some under her name. She did make some money. She was feeling good. But if he put his name, she would make even more. And at that time, she wanted more money to be able to pay for her dancing lessons, from what I understood. She wanted a little sense of independence. Mm-hmm. And then when she couldn't dance anymore, then she began to write. And she went to his publisher, Max Perkins, with Scribner's. And she had one of her stories published in one of the Scribner's magazines, which was mm-hmm. pretty good. And that's when Scott got angry when he saw that she was using the same material of their life mm-hmm. that he planned to use in his next book, Tender is the Night, too. And the, yeah, I think there was that, that control freak. And I think he was he was competitive. He was competitive with Hemingway. He was competitive with everyone else. And he was competitive with her. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's it in a nutshell. I really think that, and when he does have the affair with Sheila Graham, when he goes out, did you get to that part yet? I, I've read I've read Z before okay. already. That's why I'm reading Guests on Earth because I had read I hadn't read Guests on Earth yet, and I've actually finished it last week a week or two ago. And so I don't know. Have you gotten that far, Michelle? Um, so I'm at the part. But don't don't feel bad about about spoilers because I feel like. This is history, so, so okay. it doesn't count. Um, <laughs> by this point in a book, I've actually already Googled what's happened at the end so I can prepare myself for what's about to come. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head, and that um, he needed someone to, like, worship him and need him. And she was having this, finding her sense of independence. And she was a very good writer. They both kept diaries. He kept the thought book. She kept the diary. He he read her diaries. She, at one of the parties, somebody wanted to publish publish that diary as a young girl's diary. He said, no, because I'm finding inspiration in your words. Mm-hmm. So right then and there, she should have seen something on the wall. Yeah. He goes out to California and sees Sheila Graham. She does pretty much worship him. And mm-hmm. they have the college of one, and he has the syllabus that he's going to like teach her. And Zelda really didn't need to be taught, mm-hmm. right? Well, I love that. Um, you know, his his ego was so sensitive. I, you know, I, I'm so basically I'm at the part where they're heading to France. So, um, so they're yeah, about. Yet. I'm sorry. Um, he he wanted to write that uh, play for Broadway. It was called right, the and it flopped. And it bombed. And now they're um, they're five thousand dollars in debt. And he mm-hmm. realizes that he could go to to Paris and live a lot cheaper if they go there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but right before that, that was when um, Sinclair Lewis published his first book, and the fact that Zelda mentions just an off you know off-the-cuff remark that Sinclair Lewis is a successful author in his own right, and just out of spite because she happened to praise another author besides him, oh. he, he ruined her potential acting career. Mm-hmm. You he, know what? I, I didn't even remember that. That's really you know what's cool. interesting is that in the series, they don't even cover that that's why he ruins her acting career. I don't think they did. You know, no, they just kind of like glossed over it and made it sound like like that he just wasn't supportive. He it didn't want to go to Hollywood. Yeah. They, yeah they you just, know, I forgot about that. That's an important part. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was um, a conflict between Hemingway and Zelda. You know, yes. Zelda saw through him basically. She called mm-hmm. him bogus, like a rubber check that bounced, and he called her crazy. Okay. And I mm-hmm. think he was the one that kind of got F. Scott. To, to think that, you know, Zelda should be in an institution. Well, look at the way he, just wait, Michelle, you think you hate F. Scott Fitzgerald right now? You're going <laughs> to, I'm having like serious <laughs> issues with him right now. <laughs> I, it's, been, it's been almost a year since I've read Z and it's taking me about that long to actually pick up a Hemingway story. Just any story by Hemingway, even if it's a short story, because I was so angry and so disgusted by him that I couldn't read a single one of his books after I read Z. Really, and when you think of it, that Hemingway wouldn't have gotten the break that he got without F. Scott mm-hmm. because he got him to go to his own editor, Max Perkins, and then The Sun Also Rises is is what um, um, he ended up publishing. But when do you remember the part where um, a friend asks what the story is about, and she says bullfighting, um, bull bullslinging, bullfighting, and bullsh, and he stops her. 
<laughs> and, says, yes. and, and then she's like saying, you know, he's not who he is. And, and F. Scott is still really supporting him. And I think that's kind of also the start of. And he liked his women to be in a certain place. I mean, you look at his first wife. Handley, very yeah. Clean, yeah, very plain, very not fit for this world, just very meek. And then he went on to um, the vote. The was it? I don't know if she was a reporter or she was an editor. His second wife. Because um, he what he did four wives. Or, yeah, because it was a, it was the girl. Yeah, it was the girl who had this with the sisters, and he picked the one who was um, a little bit more. I think she was a little more on the meek side, but she was slightly more independent and younger than his first wife. And then there was uh, Gelhorn. And then there was a final wife, a caregiver or something like along those lines. Yeah. Um, Galhorn was the most advanced of the bunch because she was the most like him, I think, in um, attitude and spirit where she was, she, he admired that where she would go out and get stuff. But um, it, with him too, if you look at the women, they were there by and large, they were meek. Uh, they, they knew their place and um, they worshiped him too. Right. And, Zelda did not know her place. She was not meek. That was not a word that she described Zelda. She didn't have a place. I think she's so greatly misunderstood. And I think once I found that she had those great attributes, those talents, and they were pretty much squashed, I really saw that this woman's spirit really was trying to be put into a place that Mm -hmm. Zelda tried to fight out of. But she did have that that mental problem, you know, for whatever reason, maybe she was a bipolar or, or whatever it was. I think she was a wild child. I don't think she was mentally ill, outright mentally ill. I think she was I a wild child and they tried to break her. They tried to break her. Maybe that's it. And maybe they tried to do different drugs and tried to do different therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what ended up. But I think she went to Hyman Hospital in Asheville to almost find peace, find some kind of a retreat, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what she was trying to find there. Yeah, it was interesting, like, in reading Guests on Earth to to read that aspect of it, um, you know, because in Z you've got the beforehand, and then in Guests on Earth you kind of have um, the after effects where she's she's there at the hospital and she's got that structure. Around. And she's not even remotely as wild as she was in in her former life. I mean, she's still a very outspoken character, Mm-hmm. in guests on earth but you know she she doesn't swim in fountains anymore and she doesn't <laughs> right <laughs> right wow, that was and another thing about the series i was so bummed about that was like my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the book and they totally cut it out oh i didn't realize that but mm-hmm. i like the story but she was fearless she, she would die from the highest diving boards and do you remember when she went to the swimming pool with the flesh colored one piece swimming suit on and people said that she was swimming naked in the in the pool <laughs> yeah said that she was the town scandal you know <laughs> and it's just so it's really sad to see when you're reading guests on earth that you know i that's the book that i read first and i would never have gotten that she was as outspoken and as driven and as um, independent as she was based on, you know, how you read her in guests on earth, like maybe a little bit, but not to the degree that she was actually. I was so glad that I found guests on earth because I found it just by chance. I was coming home from Denver and I stopped at their bookstore and I found that. And the first page they talk about the fire 
you know, and, and I knew that I was writing her story because of Asheville. And so I really felt that connection. So it's almost like I took that part of her life and then went backwards. You know, it was piecing together how she died at the age of 48 in this terrible fire. And she had, you know, she was a painter. Have you seen the paintings that she's done? I mean, I've actually never seen her paintings. Have you, Diana? No, I haven't. Actually, oh, my goodness. I have one book. You'll have to find um, the book of her paintings. Some of her paintings are um, really almost like a Picasso-ish type of thing, very modernistic. And I heard that in one of the books, her mother, after she died, burned some of the paintings because they were really so um, kind of very ugly. They <laughs> had, um, the women had very big legs, but and they were ballerinas. But that's probably how she felt when she was doing some of the, the ballet. She probably felt like her muscles were tight and big and everything. But then she had some beautiful scenes of of the cities and of the of the landscape. I just went ahead and googled it, and yeah, there are some. They're they're gorgeous. They're wonderful paintings. And, and she had them exhibited, and then. Um, once she once she stopped doing dancing and once she stopped doing writing because they had such a, a a fight about you know who was going to be able to use those words and she wrote her fictional character Alabama in Save Me the Walls and then he ended up using his his character um, Nicole in Tender Is the Night mm-hmm. again patterning Zelda some of the letters that she wrote him when she was in the sanitarium, he said that Nicole was going crazy in her head. And so she knew that he used again her life story in his book, you know, mm-hmm. but then she stopped dancing, stopped painting. I stopped um, writing and then began painting. And that was something that um, um, Scott pretty much accepted because it wasn't now competition. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it was out of his realm, so he didn't care about it. Well, dancing would take her away from him. I mean, there was um, you get to a point in Z where they, she talks about going to Italy to be to be a dancer. Mm-hmm. And he was in France, so they would have to be apart, and she would have to be independent from him. So right. he didn't like her leaving leaving him, and this because he wanted her dependent on him. And then if she was a writer, she would be a competitor with him. Absolutely, but then she has that affair with that French aviator. Well, I don't blame her. Jose, good for her. I kind of think that she had that because she wasn't the center of attention in his life. That Mm -hmm. he wasn't on the pedestal because he was writing The Great Gatsby at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think that she would go to, she loved to swim. And then Scotty was with the nanny and she was actually kind of bored. Mm -hmm. And so she found a man there that happened to really take a huge interest in her. And so, you know, what kind of affair did they, I don't know what their love was really like, but Scott and she went, kind of had a really big problem in their marriage at that point. Mm -hmm. And then they go to Italy and that's where she takes up some of her painting lessons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can get to that point, Michelle. I can't wait to get those texts. (laughs) I just feel so bad for her. Like, and then for so long, she's known as just like, you just a party girl, just, you know, like, yeah. No, no real substance to her up until I mean, this book, Guess on Earth, and then this book and watching the series Z on Amazon. That was the first time that I really realized that, you know, there was more to her than just being the wife of F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes. yes, you're absolutely right. I think that's what I, I think her her story is almost a tragedy in a sense because she had so much potential and Absolutely. who knows 
who knows what she could have gone on to do. She, she really wanted to continue to write, and I think that she could have done amazing things. Yeah, I think you nailed it. There was a, uh, there are stories of tragedy, and so for and for so many years, she has been uh, misunderstood. Where even though the biography came out decades ago, almost what thirty years ago now, or over thirty years ago, um, so dating myself based on the fact that I was born in the early eighties, um, she's been misunderstood for all these years. Like one of my favorite movies is Paris at Midnight. Oh yes. Love that. But it always infuriates me where that line where um, he's come back from being in Paris in the 1920s and he's like, and Zelda's crazy. And Scott knows it, accepts it, but he can't, you know, do anything about it because he loves her. And it's like, no, she's not crazy. This is just a male dominated opinion of her. I know. I know. And and it's, it's refreshing to see that I think, I think Z is really what's done it where it's casting this different light on her. So she's not quite so misunderstood. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, I like too that she was asked to write a review in the newspaper for his second book called the beautiful and damned. Do you remember? What I she- love that. She wrote I that. Have this, I, I have it. I have it. Down. I, don't remember the view. I remember she did it, but I don't remember the view. You have it there. Yeah, I do. It says, okay. she writes, it seems also that on page one, I recognized a portion of an old diary of mine, which mysteriously disappeared shortly after our marriage, and also scraps of letters, which, though considerably edited, sound vaguely familiar. In fact, Mr. Fitzgerald seems to believe that plagiarism begins at home. <laughs> I loved it. And then that's that's, she called the passive, that's passive-aggressive wife. 101. <laughs> that's why I think that's why she got offers to write for McCall's magazine, Metropolitan Magazine, and that's when she got her first paychecks and she wrote about the eulogy of a flapper. That's why I, I kind of, when I portray her, I portray her in 1947, the year before she dies, where she's reflecting on her life and her marriage. Mm-hmm. And I say that she has found her, her wonderful um, flapper dress because she was known as the first American flapper that F. Scott, you know, said that she was. And, is that a little dog? Yes. <laughs> I just noticed that. Is that cute? <laughs> she's a co-host. Oh, what's, oh that's so cute. <laughs> But I thought that that was really interesting that she had um, she had the guts to write that. Mm-hmm. And she even told him, you know, when, when he got home and she told him about the offer and that she wrote this review and she told him, well, I had to criticize you a little bit because otherwise no one would believe me. Oh, that's a good point. I, I thought about that. <laughs> so I feel like she kind of had to like explain to him like, I'm reviewing your book, so obviously it's not going to be I'm not writing as your wife. I'm writing as a reviewer, but right. FYI. Right. right. Um, there was a point, too, like I was thinking of The Great Big Gatsby. I don't know about you. I've re-read it, you know, um, now, later in life, and I just feel that it is such a beautifully crafted book that I don't know if Scott could have written another book as great as that book was. I just no, – and it's so interesting that it's his, I agree. I think that's his greatest book. Yeah. Um, it's my, definitely my favorite and mm-hmm. of all of his. And it's interesting because when it was, uh, when it first came out, it wasn't well reviewed. It was considered a failure. That's right. After his death, that it was actually considered his greatest book. Which one? The Great Gatsby. It wasn't until after his death. Oh, that that's true. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, his first book, um, This Side of Paradise, sold like 40,000 copies like that first year, and they really went into celebrity mode. And that's when they were starting to just buy things. They bought that sports coupe, and she drove it and, and ran over a fire plug and kind of wrecked the car. And then I remember Daisy Buchanan, you know, ran over a woman. <laughs> so. yeah. I just can't. And she was, what, she was 19 when they got married. Yeah, right? she met him in 1918. He was four years older than she was. She met him at the country club with her father. So, yeah, 19, mm-hmm. yeah. So a 19-year-old girl getting kind of like swept off her feet by this, you know, this soldier that from the north that comes down to a small town in the south. Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but then from like almost the first day that she's in New York, he kind of paints her in a certain light because of that one interview where that mm-hmm. reporter asks, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you the inspiration for Rosalind? And she starts saying no, because she doesn't really like Rosalind. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't really like all of the characteristics about that character. Mm-hmm. And F Scott kind of like shushes her and, and tells her like, just go along with it. That's what the press wants to hear that, oh, that, that you inspired me. So from like day one, she was forced into this, this image. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Because I know at one point he tells the reporter somebody that he married the heroine of his of his of his stories. Mm-hmm. You know? So he goes ahead and, and kind of admits that. But that's an interesting point. And I wonder if because she had pretty much led I don't want to say a small Montgomery, her father was the judge of the Supreme Court down there. She kind of was able to kind of do her own thing. And you kind of took her out of that element to New York. I wonder if that kind of created something in her too. I'm sure it did to, to go from, from a small town to Manhattan and then to have. Montgomery wasn't that much of a small town, even back then for Alabama. I mean, isn't Montgomery the capital of Alabama? It is, but it's not that it's a small town, but it's kind of like a protected town a little bit. Don't you think like her her dad being, you know, such a, a namesake there and, um, I think she was protected because the, the idea that I got from both the show and from um, Z was that they, they were, they were, they were strict. They were traditional. Yeah. Um, it was a very conservative world. Yeah. Her dad tried to keep her alive, but she was the baby of that family. And mm-hmm. she kind of like did what she wanted. You know, she drank corn liquor and gin. Didn't she, she went swimming and the moonlight, and, and snuck into breakfast the next morning. I mean, she, she'd go and she'd sneak out to go to the country club. He'd put her, tell her to go to her room, and she'd sneak out the window. So she kind of got away with stuff there. Yeah, and she, I don't think she could behave even if she tried. I mean, <laughs> really, it comes down to it. Um, so when she was doing stuff, you know, not swimming in the fountain or doing, you know, some of those crazy things in New York, mm-hmm. that just really, that kind of gave her kind of a, I don't know. That's the that's the that's the part of Zelda I wasn't too impressed with. <laughs> well, I think that you know, um, if you look at people like I came from a very strict, very very conservative background on the east in a small up northeast uh, town, um, and it wasn't even small small. It was small compared to like Los Angeles or Chicago. But, um, but I went from there to California to LA when I was eighteen. God bless my dad and my stepmom because I went through a wild child phase, very similar to Zelda. Yeah, where you know you have this 
you are certain things are expected of you. You can't wear certain things. You can't do certain things. And I questioned every single moral I was ever taught um, from stealing his bed all the way up um, <laughs> just because it was just this whole new world that I was so sequestered from. And so I could kind of see where she went to, where she went from being, you know, as protected as possible, even though she broke the rules with her parents, they tried to protect her. They had all these rules and guidelines around her. Mm-hmm. She got to New York City and there were no more rules. She could do whatever she wanted. But so, we also have to remember the time period is yeah. the 1920s. And it was a really big liberation for women. Mm-hmm. Women were smoking. They were drinking. They're now able to vote. And so women kind of went wild. So we're talking about wild women or, you know, badass women. I think that's kind of like what we're almost looking at the time period, you know? Yeah. And she had a little bit of a discussion with a, with a relative on this where he was like, oh, no, it wasn't that it wasn't that um, much of a rebellion. There was still women who were still really, you know, uh, sorry, my dogs are running all over the place because they're oh. excited. Because um, he was saying that they were um, really still – cloistered in that there wasn't really much of a li- women's liberation during that time. And I was like, but no, it was, we got the vote. Um, you know, maybe in the country towns, it was still very, you know, cloistered, but mm-hmm. you go to the cities and, you know, hemlines were going up, mm-hmm. the smoking was just happening. Women were starting to be able to go out and get jobs and things yeah. and be recognized as artists and writers. And but speaking of, I'm sorry. Sorry, speaking of fashion, I am dying to see the dress that, that she wears to the um, Palais Royale, that black dress that, that the, she describes where it's like backless and it cuts really low down in the back. Oh, yeah. It sounds gorgeous. Yeah. And I really, I don't, the, the series Z on Amazon, it, it cuts the timeline up so much and like jams a lot together mm-hmm. that I can't figure out if we've already passed that point. In- I saw just the one, the first one, and I thought the same thing. It was kind mm-hmm. of going kind of too because, quickly. I couldn't piece it together. I and thought she it didn't awesome. even get, you know, get the, the Bob haircut until that point. But you know, they they've been married for for a while, and they mm-hmm. had moved out of the hotel. They weren't living in, um, I forget what hotel they were living in at the time. Um, but in the series, she goes and gets a haircut and everything in like the second episode. Mm-hmm. So I can't figure out when it happened, but I really want to see that dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Oh. But and didn't Lynn, you were telling me this morning that you did a performance of Zelda in Hemingway's house, birthplace in Oak Park. And that as I was getting ready upstairs in the bedrooms of his house, I just felt like his spirit was like because he hated her so badly. And I just felt like, oh, my gosh, he's probably going to be turned in his grave knowing that Zelda was in his house. Oh, oh my goodness. So what was that like? You got to play Zelda in his house. Oh, did. It was, about, did you do like the same thing as normal or did you change it up a little bit? No, I didn't. No, I, I pretty much did. The, I, I did it just like I did it. 
but there's a part in, in, in my story where, you know, he's berating her. And I don't know where I got the quote from, maybe Nancy in Milford's book, you know, where he's like saying, you're a third-rate writer, a third-rate dancer, you're a third-rate, you know, third-rate writer or whatever. And, you know, this is my story and you don't have any right, like, to be writing, you know, the story. It's mine. And I just feel this something come over me in Hemingway's, um, you know, house where I just feel like she, what did she feel like when she was just so downtrodden by these men mm-hmm. and just how she tried to still rise above it and still tried to, you know, write her own book and, and write, paint these beautiful pictures and, and make things for Scotty. She made her the doll house and the paper dolls and, you know, still tried to find her own identity. And even the theme of save me the walls is a woman's quest for her own identity. And that's, that's the theme of Zelda's life. I really want to now, well, I don't know when I'll go back and, and read F. Scott Fitzgerald just because I'm very annoyed with him. <laughs> but, but now that, you know, having read, um, well, you know, I'll finish C soon by Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and you know, having read that, I want to go back and reread some of, some of his work because I want to see if I can pick up on Zelda's influence in them. Right. I went back and watched, rewatched the great Gatsby. So I've got so many books I need to read and review. It's hard for me to go back and do some of that. Um, but even just rewatching the great Gatsby and did the Leonardo DiCaprio one, um, you see so much of Zelda's influence now where it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. But I think that she sees herself in the books that, you know, we talked about until he mm-hmm. writes the last tycoon that he never finished out in California. And she doesn't like the the main character, Catherine. And she doesn't see herself in Catherine. It's because somebody else took her place in that book. Yeah, I wouldn't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, to that point, the whole time he was telling her, you know, when they were, uh, they were dating and they wanted to get married. And when they first, when he first brought her to New York, he kept telling her, I'm doing all of this for you. I'm doing this to, to, you know, be worthy of you and to have you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he kind of forgot about that somewhere along the line. I don't think he actually ever truly meant it. Or, or that. <laughs> I think he was doing it because a lot of it, I think he, I mean, I think he loved being a writer and I think he loved literature I mean, I give him that, but I think he was pushing for the celebrity status and this fame status for himself because his father was a failure. His father was fired every chance, every time he turned around, his father didn't hold a a good job Mm -hmm. and he didn't have the finer things in life and he wanted the finer things in life. So it was almost like he thought he may have been doing it for her. Um, and he tried to tell himself that he was doing it for her, but he was really doing it for himself so that they, that they could have the life that he dreamed of, not the life that Zelda dreamed of, but the life that he dreamed of. Yeah. I think it was interesting. Um, up until for, for the most part, every time that he talked about any successes that, that he enjoyed, it was always you know, I made it, I did this, I did this. And then when, um, you know, they asked for that, um, 
script from for Hollywood, one of the first ones that that they asked him to send over, mm-hmm. and he sent it, and then they call back and say, you know, we don't want this, mm-hmm. and they leave the message with Zelda, and she comes home. He comes home, and she says, well. You're you're out of luck. You you can't do it. They they rejected you. That was the first mm-hmm. time that he switched the pronoun, and he said, "I think you mean we were out of luck. We didn't do it." Mm-hmm. So all point. of a sudden, that's a good point. He can't he can't handle failure or criticism on his own. Any failures he has to bring her into, but any mm-hmm. successes they're all him. But what do you think too? Like Hemingway um, kind of faulted Scott. And he kind of blamed of Zelda for taking away Scott's um, uh, dedication for writing. You know, he kind of like blames Zelda that she's the one that's, you know, causing Scott not to write, but it's really Scott is drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that he was afraid of failure himself that he couldn't measure up to his own work? Why was, I mean, he was writing a lot of um, magazine articles because that was bringing in money, but Mm -hmm. you know, he, he really almost, he didn't write as many books when you think of it. Yeah, that's true. No, he definitely, as far as, you know, he always talks about, you know, writing the next book, writing the next book. Mm-hmm. and Didn't he write a lot of short stories? A lot. A lot of short stories. A lot of short stories. But he was making a lot. He was making money on those. I, I don't know. I, I And I think Hemingway was not very kind to Scott in, you know, some of the things that he then said about Scott later on either. Yeah, no, not at all. I think, well, I think the, um, the, after Scott died, when he wrote that book, that quote unquote tell all book. Yeah. um, I think it was just him acting out the fact that Scott was actually getting more attention than he was. That was a pure temper. After he died, after Scott died. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was, Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was a lot of, snobbishness snobbery um on what being a a real author was like if you didn't fit like this particular mold everyone else who you know thought that was how an author should be kind of like just ripped you apart and told you you weren't a real author you weren't a real writer Mm -hmm. um so I feel like maybe I haven't gotten to the part with Hemingway yet, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so I feel like maybe he just, he and, and Scott were just in different realms as far as what a writer was. Yeah. I find it very ironic that when her book was published with Scribner's with Max Perkins, it was on the same list as Hemingway's book, um, uh, an afternoon bullfight or something about bullfighting again. So they were on the same list. Isn't that kind of ironic? And her book did not get, you know, well-received. Um, but she did have one review that said something about um, Mrs. Fitzgerald's um, manuscript or story rises to Scott's level. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I that must have just killed him. I mean, I'm just thinking, because that's kind of what I say as, as Zelda. You know, I wonder what Scott thought about that. Mm-hmm. I just I I don't understand why he couldn't be supportive of her. I, I mean I. Well, you know, I guess we're saying was it a threat competition? 
Well, you're also looking at it from a, a 21st century perspective. Yeah, that's that's true. But you know, we don't. We, I mean, we have competitive spouses. I mean, my husband and I cannot play like Risk together, and I and <laughs> we're too so competitive. Uh, I, I pitch you not. Divorces have nearly happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but to be so competitive with your spouse like that, you we don't have those strict roles that they used to have back then, where. Right. You had the idea that the wife had to stay home, that the wife had was the was the one who did the homemaking stuff, and then the husband was the one who went out and did all the money making, whether they were an artist or you're a factory worker. Right. And Scott just took everything away from her. I mean, even naming their daughter. I know she wanted to name her Patricia. Patricia he took that away from her, and he yeah. just. He couldn't let her have anything that was hers. Even their daughter had to be about him. I don't think she wanted to name her daughter Patricia because that would make sense on Guests on Earth because she called um, Evelina uh, Patricia. She called called her Pat even though her name was Frances Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, but in Guests on Earth, she referred to Evelina as uh, Patricia or Pat. Uh, Patty Pie Face, yeah. So now oh. it makes sense because now, now I'm connecting the dots on that book too because you know you kind of have this motherly daughter kind of pseudo relationship between the two of them, and now the fact that she called her that, it's like, oh, now yeah. that all makes sense. Oh my god, I hadn't thought about that. That's that's that, I hadn't thought about that. That's yeah. good. <laughs> that's something we're gonna have to ask Lee about next week. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's gonna be really great to be able to see the two of them. Um, on yeah, because yeah, I I admire both of those books. I I love both those books. Yeah, I think they, they'll be I a really lot of like fun. Yeah. yeah, I just I think it's crazy how she was so. Um, no one knew her at all. Like not even her closest friends really knew what she was about. Right. And I think Scott took great care to making sure that everyone only saw a certain side of her. I know, I know. Which is sad because he's a great writer and he deserves to be remembered for, mm-hmm. for you know the the works that he did. But he wasn't a nice husband. No, he wasn't. No, he oh, wasn't. and if you look at it in the modern context, I mean, how many actresses like Kim Kardashian, for example? Um, how many? You have to wonder how many people around her or how many people outside of her truly know her how much of that is a crafted image that either whether it be her mother herself or kanye crafted for her mm-hmm. um she's a very carefully crafted person every i mean even her instagram photos are <laughs> carefully crafted before they get posted mm-hmm. she pays somebody a thousand dollars per photo that they edit okay um, yeah wow well and we're, I guess we're doing the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. people judge her based on the image that she presents mm-hmm. to everyone, just like oh. people were judging Zelda. So, mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I think it's so interesting. When you asked me to do this, we hadn't talked about um, Zelda. I thought maybe we were going to talk about some of my other characters. And just yesterday, you mentioned how you were both reading the Zelda books. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I thought I could have sworn I did, but apparently not. But that's even better. So I really think that I haven't, I'm going to be doing her again in um, June for a Chicago Art Institute spin-off group. So I'm really anxious to, you know, have them see some of her paintings. Because mm. 
that's another part of Zelda that people don't know about. And do you, so when, um, just to give you background, Diana, when I saw uh, Lynn do her performance of Nellie Bly, she like broke down her life into, um, you know, into phases and then each phase had a lesson. So um, it was, you know, when she uh, got the the challenge by uh, Joseph Pulitzer to go into the insane asylum, there was a lesson there. And then when her husband died, there was a lesson. If somebody tells you something is impossible, prove that somebody wrong. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you do the same thing with Zelda? Do you break it down into lessons like that? No, or is it a different don't. Thing? It's almost like the lesson speaks for itself. It's okay. almost like the audience takes away and they see um, how she had this um, capacity to, to have great talents and do great things with her life and that um, it really, she wasn't allowed to shine and to develop that because Scott really wouldn't let her. So I think the audience now sees how much he has taken from her life story and incorporated into his books and that mm-hmm. she can't prove to be, have her own identity. That's why I think it is so brilliant how she writes Save Me the Waltz and her character Alabama is actually paralleling Zelda's life. It's it's a woman's quest for her own identity and that's what Zelda's life is all about. I have to read that book now. <laughs> yes, yeah. me too. So now you've told us you've, you've done you've done Nellie Bly, you've done Zelda. What other characters do you do? Well, I started out, like I said, I've been doing this 12 years and mm-hmm. the first character I did was Mary Pickersgill in the Star Spangled Banner. I thought that was really an interesting story because her flag is in the Smithsonian and um, it's a a, a treasure that we still have dating back to the War of 1812. And they Mm -hmm. took so many pains and and so much money to preserve it. And that's just a piece of history. And hardly anybody knows who Mary Pickerskill is. And she's the woman who made the flag that inspired Francis Scott Key (laughs) to to write the words of Star Spangled Banner, which we can bring in full circle. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald is named after Francis Scott Key. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a distant relative in his family. I thought that was really ironic. And mm-hmm. I do Mary Lincoln. I did the Chicago Public Library reading tour uh, back in 2009 when Abraham Lincoln's 200th birthday was there. And so I got to present Mary Lincoln in, in a neat way. And plus when I found out that she was put in a sane asylum in Batavia, close by here, and I'd mm-hmm. been to that uh, museum and saw where she was put, I thought, Wow, such an iconic woman right here in our own backyard, you know. And, and yeah. boy, was she also, um, you know, the, the fact that her son, you know, got her committed and, and declared insane. And then she was restored to reason. There's just so many stories with all these different women that just um, tell us a story we didn't know about them. You know, even like um, I do Margaret Mitchell and I tell her story about how she wrote Gone with the Wind. And she was actually parallels uh, uh, Zelda's life. They were both born the same year, 1900. Mm. And um, Margaret Mitchell died early in a car accident. You know, they both were cut lives short, both Mm. brilliant writers. And um, I love Julia Child. She's another one I do. Um, I've been doing now I'm doing um, Eliza Hamilton. I just have having so much fun telling her side of the story. And so I keep finding more women that I, I am, am intrigued with. So and yes. that's, Zelda was my greatest surprise, as I told you, because I just didn't set out with a good thought about Zelda. <laughs> I really have come to admire her 
probably the greatest out of all the characters I do. You know, I love, that's one of the things I love about history and historical fiction too, is that you really find yourself connecting to the characters. Z really helped me connect with Zelda. Mm -hmm. And it's funny on my blog, um, my blog's called creating her story. Um, For the month of April, I do um, April A to Z. So every day I'm doing a bio on different women based on alphabet. Um, now, can I ask you, because I haven't met you now, how have the two of you connected? How do you have this um, wine and women, and, and how long have you had it? <laughs> we will be one year in, Jan- in June. Michelle and I, um, we work together in a call center, a timeshare travel agency, where we would book the reservations for people who own timeshares. And we worked she, I worked for the company and then left and moved to Texas for a couple of years and then came back. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to call that my exile. My husband was stationed there. Okay. Uh, Texas does not fully agree with me. I'm too much of a California girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we came back and I went back to work for the company and Michelle retrained me. And then we worked in a cubicle next to each other and we both loved books. And it got to a point where we just, we bonded over books. We shared books. Mm-hmm. Um, there are points, and I think I've told it on the podcast before, but where she'd hand me a book at 8 a.m. and I'd hand it back to her at 5 p.m. because I'd finished it. Because wow. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I just, I eat, I eat, eat, eat books, literally. Um, <laughs> so I, I can really go through a book. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of built a friendship up over that. And then Michelle came up with the idea for Wine, Women, and Words. That is so cool. And she, and we, whenever we do stuff, it's a matter of, it's mostly me going, Hey, I've got this bright idea. You're doing this, right? (laughs) Nine times out of 10, that's what happens. So Um, she she approached me about this and she's like, I've got this bright idea. You're doing this, right? (laughs) I'm like, do you even need to ask? (laughs) Well, this is really a neat, um, um, I think a neat forum to be able to, uh, you know, discuss things that, people don't talk about and it's a lot of fun when we when we do get um you know guests that come on the show that are Mm -hmm. as passionate about reading and history and whatever it's you know when you when you make that connection with someone and you find out that you both share a passion about something Mm -hmm. it's like the spark instantly like ignites the conversation. And I, I love watching that happen. Well, I, 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 I so enjoyed um, talking with you quickly when we were, when you were interviewing me about Nellie Bly, because I could tell that you, you know, understood, you understood the story and you had done your homework also. So you knew about her and it was really fun to have a like-mindedness, you know, <laughs> with somebody who cares about what you care about. Definitely. It's always fun to to find someone who speaks your language and and lives in your world. Now, are you interested in Hamilton? Have you seen? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I haven't seen the play yet, but I read the book by Ron Chernow um, Mm -hmm. that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to write the play. And he's so passionate about the book and, and, and getting the, the story of our early founding fathers it's just the book is amazing. So There's a book that came out last a couple of weeks ago, actually no last week. Um, 
and it's Alex and Eliza, and it's the, their love story in historical fiction form. And it just is came out. Of it? Huh? Is that the title of it? Yeah, Alex and Eliza, and it's historical fiction. Okay. Uh, it's about the romance between the two of them. Because I have, a, I have a novel, and I don't know if it's um I don't know if it's that one. I'll have to look for that because that's how I tell her story. Mm-hmm. I am Eliza, so <laughs> so now let's venture into Hamilton a little bit because I love Hamilton. Um, it intrigues me because it covers it in a musical where um, she takes herself out of the narrative. She burns his letters. Yeah, that's true. And then um, in the. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the musical, you know, they they she has that moving uh, song that I can't even sing along to without crying. The one uh, where her son dies. No, the burn where she's actually in the musical where she's singing where she's taking herself out of the narrative. Oh, you know, I haven't seen the play yet, so and I did not want to see the play or read some of the things until I had written my script and I had gotten my own understanding of what Eliza was going to be like. So I don't know of that. So I don't. Know. I haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah. Um, it's on my on my goal list. Um, I can't see it this year because we actually have a trip to France planned in the fall. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. When it comes to LA, but it's coming to Orange County in the spring, so I'm hoping I can see it then. Okay. Uh, but in the mu- in the musical, there's actually a scene. Um, it's actually a musical number because I I've got the the soundtrack pretty much. Okay. Um, but there's actually a musical number called Burn, where she's taking her, she's going through the process of taking herself out of the narrative, where she's burning his letters, every letter that he wrote. And mm. she's processing his affair and yeah. how it ruined their lives. And, you know, since you're you're playing her, I was wondering what your take on that is, why she might well, have taken herself out of that narrative. And Well, and, and when I tell her story, I tell it kind of I kind of tell it going backwards. I tell it from 1815. He's died in 1804. Mm-hmm. So I tell it that her sons, he would have been very proud of the three sons that have served their our country proudly during the War of 1812 and have really followed in their father's footsteps. And I kind of been reflecting on what his legacy is going to be because she lived to be 97. She lived 15 mm-hmm. years after he died. Mm-hmm. And she spent the rest of her life literally making sure that history kept his role in the in the founding of our nation and the importance of him forming this new government when he had those powerhouse men, Jefferson and Adams and Madison, who really scoffed at his ideas and didn't think that he could, you know, form this government the way that he was. And yeah, she- Adams called him a Creole bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had a really interesting um, uh, question the other day. Um, I felt somebody asked me if I thought that he would have been president. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's really the man behind our central government and forming, you know, getting our country out of debt and, and helping to get the U S mint and, and, you know, just forming a lot of the, manu- we we're going to be a manufacturing society and not a, not a society of farmers. And, um, so this person asked me, do you think that Hamilton would have been president? I says, well, you know, he should have been next in line after, mm-hmm. you know, Adams and, and Madison and or Jefferson and Madison. And, you know, but I said he had made some enemies, whatnot. And so I'm not sure if he would have. And then somebody said, well, he couldn't have been president because he wasn't a natural born citizen. And I said, but but he was a citizen. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be a natural born citizen. Yeah. Okay. Because he wasn't even, because they didn't have the... 
Well, they didn't have the Constitution yet, so I mean, he they time, didn't have the Constitution. Oh, well, I mean, by the time that he immigrated into the into the country, they did have he it. He was there before the revolution. He got there in 1772, so he was part of the revolution. But what is so interesting is that he wrote all the Federalist Papers that was trying to to explain the newly written Constitution that Madison had written and also that that Hamilton had a part of, you know. Mm -hmm. So I went home and I found in the Constitution that was written in 1787 that it says uh, the qualifications for president is that you have to be a natural-born citizen or you have to be a citizen and you have to be at least 35 years old and you have to have been in the country for 15 years. Hamilton was in the country for 14 years and he was a... And, and, um, and he was 30 years old. So he could, have, he could have, at the time of the writing of the Constitution, he could have been president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could have. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. In the musical, they talk about um, the affair being a major ruining factor. Well, so, um, she still stayed with him, though. And yeah, she still, still stayed with him, yeah. And she still had children after the affair, even. Mm-hmm. But um, the fact that he wrote about it so publicly... And I think, though, he spent the rest of his life, though, he built them a house. I think that he showed how much he loved her. He wrote about, you know, he said, you were the best of wives, the best of mothers, the best of women. I mm-hmm. think why not? Yeah, I mean, who, what woman wouldn't be crushed by? I think that, but I'm, I'm thinking, thinking that at the time, at the time, that would have ruined his chances for presidency. Because they talk about that being a, a ruining for him not being able. He went, He wouldn't have been able to win a, an election based on that. Which is funny now, considering the fact that I mean, who we have in the in the presidency exactly. now um, is or how funny how funny Jefferson was had a, had 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 a relationship with Sally Hemings and fathered several children, and that yeah. was public. Well, that, um, they try to suppress that. There's an interesting book that I just actually listened to, um, First Daughter, which is about his, from his the historical fiction based on his daughter's perspective. Jefferson's? Jefferson's daughter's perspective oh. going through. Um, and it's interesting when I, uh, based, because I read these books and I'll go and I'll do research. Um, they kept, den- the family itself kept denying it and they kept saying it was a, um, another relative that uh-huh. fathered the children. Oh. They, they wouldn't admit that it was Thomas's children until, and even the um, huh. Thomas's grandson, who was a Civil War general for the um, for the South, uh, denied it and said it was like an uncle or something like that who was her her parents. It wasn't until later on, oh, okay. um, long after he'd been president, that they said, "Yeah, yeah, it was his." And they had to actually do DNA tests, yeah, on that to actually prove it. But there was scandal that came out in the pamphlet that mm-hmm. actually did talk about suspicion of him fathering the Sally Hemings because she had gone over with him to Europe and there was mm-hmm. talk about. So I don't know. There's yeah, also there was there was so much scandal. So much. Yeah, so much. But I really have found the Hamilton story really, really one of my top stories. I think the whole founding of our nation is just so amazing. It is, and it's compelling, and I think Hamilton is one of those ones that are overlooked. He's overlooked because he's just that guy on the $10 bill who created the bank. Did you know anything about, I I, I didn't know anything about Hamilton until the play came out, and now I'm just like, oh my God, he had such a, he he was such a force. He was was a visionary. He had a mind. He had a very, very, yeah. Anyways, that's what's fun about doing what I do. I get to research and discover and bring to life. 
uh, stories that maybe people didn't know about. And that's what I feel about Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, you know, get to see a whole different side of her that they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And I do get to talk about the books I've researched, and I, I love Z Zelda. So I, I'm, I'm going to be really excited to hear uh, Teresa Ann Fowler. I'll have to tell her that I have her, her book listed on my book list for people to read along with her <laughs> guests here on Earth. Oh, cool. <laughs> so this just was just a, a, a fabulous time that I got to talk about those two books too. With yes. Us. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry. We had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but oh, I'm glad yeah. we sorted it out. We sorted it out. You're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> you are both, you're just both charming and I really have enjoyed this chat with you. So I hope others can be inspired to learn a bit, little bit about stories that they didn't know about. So yes. Well, thank you so much. I had such a good time with you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.